0: But this week, what I we want to do is finish up some thoughts that we began thinking about unity last week, and we're just going to pick it up. We're going to go from there. And typically on the day when we have our annual meeting, I make a commitment to you: we will be done by eleven thirty. Today's not typical. Take it for what it's worth. We saw um, last week, or, or here's where I want to go: is we looked at, we saw two scriptures primarily. John chapter 17, Ephesians chapter 4. We're coming back to them. We're just going to look at them a little bit more in depth. Uh, We're going to look at them from a little different angle. And the first thing that I would like us to simply note is this. It's our task to build unity. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 4, that we were to be striving for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's our task to build unity. But what we noted, because I want to get us up to speed, we noted, first of all, unity is an an essential God thing. If you were with us last week, you know we said it's essential in his being and it's essential in his doing. The Trinity is really the tri-unity. Three united in one, three persons, in one essence, in one being. It's essential in his doing. We noted in Ephesians 2 last week. That the very gospel of the kingdom is the gospel that brought together Jew and Gentile, tore down the middle wall of division between us that was the law and the covenants, and has united us in one body in Jesus Christ. So unity is an essential God thing. That was last week. And then out of that we said we strive for it as an essential church thing. And we looked at Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. We said it pleases God to dwell among us. We said it provides the world with something different from us. And then we also said that unity proves to be delightful between us. And it is. It's so much better to live in unity with God's people and to watch how God works than to live in discord and just see nothing happen because none of us can hear the voice of God because we're in such discord with each other. Now, going to do something that's going to take a little bit of time. But as it's our task to build unity, it's got to be a God thing. It's got to be a God thing because it is an impossible task. We just throw that out there. Okay, yeah, we're going to have unity. We're just going to do this. I'd like us to take some serious time to reflect on how crazy a challenge or an instruction that is to us. Here's what I mean by this. Think of the variety of ways in which we are so different one from another. And then somehow think. We've got to get unity out of that? Here's what I mean. And, and for those of you who are somewhat visual, maybe this will help. I don't know. It works for me. I've had it in my mind for uh, some time now. I've estimated that this light right here on the wall is about halfway through the church lengthwise. If you drop down about two feet from that light, you're about halfway up from the church, from the height of the church. And if you bring it under the centerpiece, that spot, you bring it under, that's the center of the church right there. So it's somewhere, let's see, it's somewhere just off of Arnold Shervin's left shoulder. Okay, center of the aisle, Three feet from him, okay? That's the center of the church. I want you to picture, for everything I have to say, lines going through that. And each line is a continuum. Now, you did this with three lines when some of you are doing it in your math classes right now. Remember the X, Y, and Z axes that you had to plot things on when you plotted graphs, right? Woo! That was fun. But we're talking X, Y, Z. We could start at A, go to Z, go to double A, go to double Z, and just keep going. And each one of these is a place where you could plot a graph. So what I want you to think, if that's the center of it, the first three, we can run one right through here. We can run run vertically. We can run one line, one continuum from one end to the other. And then after that, if you choose to keep going with this, think in your mind's eye, okay, here's the next line. And that one goes from this corner through that line up to that corner. And one goes from this lower corner through there. And then from that corner and down to there. And just they start crossing all over. But every one, what I want you to understand, is a different continuum upon which we each uniquely fall at two opposite ends of the continuum. See if this makes sense. Picture lines going every which way. First of all, easy one. What makes us different? Male and female. Ah, we get that. Real quick, right? We understand that the female mind and the male mind work differently that the hormones just kind of affect things and the intelligence that is far greater among the... (laughs) So you got male-female on one of these lines. At one end, you got the manly man, and at the other end, you've got the very petite little feminine girl, okay? And all of us fall somewhere between that, on that continuum, don't we? We all have, we could pin a spot and say, that's my mark. On that line and then we pick another line and it's young and old and we put the kids who have been carried in here this morning because they're still in baby carriers there at that end and then we put people who are at the other end I'm not saying Arnold is the oldest guy we got around here but you get Arnold somewhere down here okay and most people are gonna fit somewhere in between there aren't they And they're gonna think differently because of this age issue. And then we could take something like, from top to bottom, temperament. You know, some people are really rigid in their temperament. Some people are what we would call cleric. Okay, everything's got to line up right, and boy, it's it's like this, and that's the only way to operate. And other people, they kind of go with the flow a little bit more, right? They're just not wired to be that way. And so you got one running up and down. Now you've got to start crossing all these others. Let's take a thought for a few minutes. And this will take a while, but I'm doing this to give you a sense of how complex we really are. And I am willing to bet that if we took 20 minutes after we were done collectively, we could double the length of this list. And you're going to think it was too long already, Gare. But that just illustrates what I'm talking about. Just in the realm of family background, we might ask the question... What's normal? I asked Lori to help me with this list yesterday. She's homesick today. Uh, many, I think, are, probably. We asked her, what's normal? Because she said in her family, going out after church to eat was normal. That's what you do after church. You go out to eat to a restaurant. As she put it, and she was right. In my family, going out to eat was an event. We didn't go out very often, so it was special if we went out Family traditions. How do you embrace birthdays, Christmas, Easter? What do you do to celebrate a graduation? We had a family tradition that when our kids learned to ride a two-wheel bicycle, each one of them we took, we went out and celebrated getting pizza that night, the the day they learned, we went out for pizza. Probably very few other people here did that, but that was our little family tradition with our kids. Ethnic backgrounds. They affect how we think. They affect how we respond. They affect how we interact. How big is a family? If you were an only child, you may have a little different perspective on how the world works and ought to work than if you were one among 12 children in a farm family. You're going to have a different perspective. What's our relationship with our extended families? You know, Laurie, sometimes she gets frustrated because I don't stay in contact with my brothers and sisters every week. She's on the phone with her family every week. We get together every two years, love one another. Our contact in between there is maybe once a quarter. We do fine with it. We're all happy. We love one another. We have a great time. It's just that's our family and how we relate to extended family. Geography. I guarantee you people who live in places like Minneapolis and Saint Paul, if you said you gotta drive to Saint Cloud to go to Target, they'd say I'll find somewhere else to shop. But if we're gonna go to Target from here, it's like a drive from the cities to Saint Cloud. You go no, no, we don't do that. Well here up here we don't give it a second thought. So we think differently. Did we come from a stable home where mom and dad not only stayed together, but it was obvious they loved one another, they cared for one another, they had no intention of this thing ever coming to an end, and they lived out their lives with great kindness and gentleness towards one another, or did we come from a broken home where what we remember was fighting and arguing and threats and things being thrown And the ugliness that can happen in those kinds of settings. What was our economic situation? It will tilt how we view things. It will tilt our attitudes about money. Did we have a lot of discretionary income growing up? Or were we always barely getting by? Was it a hand-to-mouth existence? How about this? What was the nature of our family and how were they perceived? Did we come from a famous family, a well-known family, an important family, or from an obscure family? You know, there are families within these small towns who are, it's like, oh, they're the important families. And there are people within these small towns who are unknown to the other people in town. That is going to affect our perceptions, isn't it? How we think, how we decide things, how we interact with one another. I often think about, "What about what about the kids? How does it impact the kids of those whose father is president? I mean, you see pictures of Barron Trump. This has to be impacting his life. It appeared that the Obamas had two delightful young girls. You know their time of having been within the White House has impacted their lives uniquely. That, guess what? (laughs) The rest of us aren't going to experience what they experienced. And that's not a criticism. I am absolutely of a perspective says you leave political people's kids alone. Leave them alone. I'm just saying their life experience has got to be different than yours and mine. What about life opportunities? Some people have had more opportunities than others. And so they've been able to do them and that will affect how they have Uh, how they view the world, how they do things. What about justice and injustice? What if we have suffered a great injustice somewhere in our experience? And we are needing to process that. And there are things that have happened that are simply not just. They are not fair. And yet we're being forced to live with them. There's many people who have experienced such a thing. Do, who did we have for examples in life or mentors in life? Who invested in us? I'm willing to bet there's a number of people here who would say, I had great mentors. I had people who cared about me, loved me. They built into my life. And this is the value of it. And I bet there's other people who are here who would say, nobody invested in me. I've been trying to figure it out on my own for 50, 60, 70 years because nobody invested in me. They'll have different perspectives. They'll approach life differently. What about our personal mindset? Am I typically the victim or am I the overcomer? Is the glass half empty or is it half full? What kind of training have we received? Some of us have been trained on a job Some of us have been trained by parents. Some of us have been in the military. Every one of these things influence and impact us. It's a long list, isn't it? Yeah, let's keep going. What about our work experience? Where have we worked? What have we learned while we've been on the jobs? What about setbacks and tragedies in life? Things that were neither just or unjust. They're just things that came along. Life happens... And I'm left trying to process where do I go with this setback? I thought things were going to go this direction, and boom, the wheels came off. Opposed to that, what about blessings that we have received that we know we have not earned? I haven't earned this. I haven't deserved this. But wow, somehow it came my way. What's our communication style? What's our listening style? What's our learning style? There are different ways to approach all of these things. Here's one that I find intriguing, is particularly as we're within the church. What about this question of how we are, uh, some of us are, are inclined towards doctrine. We're very doctrinal in our approach to our Christian faith, and others are more emotional and experience oriented in our faith. So some of us, we're just, we're, 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 we're we lean towards. I got you got to show me from the Bible specifically and in great detail. And others are like, "Man, I want to feel something here. Where's God's hand moving so I can see it, so I can feel it, so I can be caught up in it?" Are we big picture oriented or detail oriented? Do we have wandering ducks? Or are ducks in a straight line? See, some people can handle a bit of chaos. right? And others, it's like, I can't take it. It's got to be straight. It's got to be in line or I can't deal with it. Are we people-oriented or task-oriented in how we approach life? We care about what others think or not care about what others think. It always amazes me for those people who they can go through life and they simply do not care what you or I think. It does not matter. And they will make whatever decisions they want and they do not care what your opinion is. These are the people I think they must hire when a company is going through some major turnovers and they got to fire 48 people. These are the ones I think they bring in. Yeah, they don't care that this is going to be difficult for you to go through that. They'll just tell you you're gone. Here's your box. We'll walk you out now. What are our attitudes on money? They vary. Politics, religion, even within our church. Do you understand? We have different attitudes about God. Do you understand? Within our church. And we're expected to have unity. We have different attitudes about the Bible. Different understandings. Huh. That's a little frightening to think about maybe, but that's reality, friends. Are we artistic creative or engineering creative in our approach to things? You know, the engineers make things work right. The artists make them look right. How are we wired in that realm? Are we self-confident or are we insecure? Are we proud or shame-filled? Do I have big dreams or no dreams? Are we cheerful or grumpy? Do we feel like we're successful or do we feel beaten down? Are we talkative or quiet? Active, got to always be up doing something, or bookish. The best way to spend an afternoon is sitting on a window seat with a book in my hand and reading. Are we coarse or refined? Are we old or young as far as years as a Christian? That'll impact how we think. Here's another one. Let's lay this right alongside of it. Not only how many years have we been a Christian, how many years have we been a maturing Christian? Because don't equate the two. Don't equate the two. We could be 40, 50 years in the Lord and round about year three quit becoming Christ-like. Decided we had all the answers and we're just living where we were, you know, 47 years prior And the idea of God actually changing me never really penetrates. What has been our church experiences? The one guy in our previous ministry, wealthy, very successful man, he had nothing, he would never come to an annual meeting. He wanted nothing to do with church meetings because he told me personally, I've seen the way Christians tear each other up and I'm tired of it. I do not get involved in the politics of churches. I don't go there. Another guy at the church where Lori and I met came to Christ. guy came out of a heroin addiction. And he looked like a guy who came out of a heroin addiction. He was excited to be telling people about Jesus Christ and had a leader of the church come up to him and say, we don't want your kind around here. Huh. That's welcoming, isn't it? That's a church experience. What about our church attitudes? Are we the good guys and everybody else out there are the bad guys? Is, do we have an us in them mindset? Maybe we believe the church should be a fortress to keep all those sinners out. It's the other end of the spectrum, maybe we believe the church should be a hospital with doors that never close because there are hurting, broken, wounded people who need to come in and find healing in God's presence. Are we controlling or open to others ideas are we what the Bible would say a brawler or are we a peacemaker are we liberal or conservative both politically and theologically am I a big dreamer or do I have little vision I'll stop with the next one but you guys could easily double this list Where are we at in recovery from our brokenness? Because every one of us is desperately broken, friends. That's not the question. Where are we at on the road of recovery as God heals us in Jesus Christ? Now, picture each one of those things, a different line running through this building, out of the center there, and you realize every one of us falls in a different place. And God says, out of all those variables, strive for the unity. The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You go, how do you possibly, without God's help, how do we possibly pull all of this together. And that's why I say it's got to be a God thing. But God gives us instruction in that, friends. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We looked at this last year. We're coming back to it. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, uh, a prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. This calling into the oneness that was Ephesians 2 that God is establishing. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, it isn't just this command thrown out there that says, okay, you guys got to get this unity thing together. He tells us first we have to, we'll begin when we have a proper spirit. And the proper spirit, you'll notice, is a humble Caring, gentle spirit and how I deal with my brothers and sisters in Christ. With all lowliness, that's humility, gentleness, that's how we deal with each other. With long-suffering, we know sometimes it, it takes a bit of patience and a bit of of. of of everything isn't going to be resolved right now and I have to bear up under that, bearing with one another in love. Remember what 1 Corinthians said, dealing with the same issue, we think it's all about marriages. No, it's about disunity in the church. And he said, you know, about love is kind, doesn't vaunt itself, is not puffed up, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's all in the context of church unity that that is put there. So you see, friends, it begins with a proper spirit. It takes a little bit of self-examination to say, well, hold on a second here. If I'm going to help us understand unity as a church, I maybe need to do a little self-examining here. Because what I, what I notice <laughs> with that, that it immediately draws us back to the thing we said last week. It's not about me, is it? Hmm, it's not about me. Because I need to be caring for others and I need to be gentle with others. And, and one of the things, of course, that, uh, that, that is just not allowed if we're going to establish unity based upon these things is we don't challenge other people's motives. We don't question their love for the Lord. They're at where they're at, right? They're doing the best they can with what they got. And just because they don't agree with me is no place for me to decide they must not love Jesus because they don't see it my way. Sorry, that isn't going to get us anywhere. That's not lowliness, and that's not gentleness. That's not embracing that God is doing something in their lives. We begin with the proper spirit, and then we build on a big foundation. There is, verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. You see some unity in that? But what we realize, the foundation we're building on is not... What I bring to the table, the foundation we're building unity on is who God is and what God is doing, and that is inherently a unified thing. And that's what we are striving for, what He already has put in place. It's not my thing. It's not my way. It's not my idea. It is what God is doing and what He has established, and we're entering into that together. And we're learning how, where we understand it differently, we're learning how to say, but you know what, with gentleness and lowliness, uh, I'm okay that we're not in exactly the same place. Built with a proper spirit, built on a big foundation. It's our task to build unity, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's us, that we are, we got we to gotta strive for that. It's our task to build unity and our privilege to share it, friends. Our privilege to share it. Back in John 17, uh, John records for us Christ's high priestly prayer. We looked at it last week. I know it will sound familiar. There's no way we teased out of here everything last week that we could have, nor will we tease it all out this week. And it's that portion of Scripture where Christ prays for us. I do not pray, pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Notice the phrase, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. It's all about unity here, friends. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know. Second time, he prays this, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So, here's my point, friends as Christ prayed that for us, that we would experience unity. He prayed it that we would experience unity, that those outside the body of Christ might see something in us and be welcomed into it and there come to understand who God is because they are experiencing with the unity that we share, which is essential to God's very being, and we're in one and in harmony with Him and therefore with each other. They're able to say, God is here I'm seeing God among these people. I'm getting to know who God is. And friends, here's what i like to point out. You won't come up on the screen, but John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The definition of eternal life is to know, know God through Christ. That is it by definition. And he prays a little later that we'd be unified. What that that the world might know him. And what that means entering into salvation with him. Because of what they have seen. As we are a place for God to dwell. Because we live in that unity that is ordained by God. I think that's a powerful thing, friends. I think it's a magnificent privilege that we have. Can I, can I just throw this out? That, that there, I believe there can be a false unity. And I want to just dismiss that quickly before making a final comment. What do I mean by a false unity? See, we're to drive, we strive to keep the unity of the Spirit In the bond of peace. That's a spirit-led unity. What's a false unity? I think it might very well be two sides of the same coin. But a false unity is a unity based upon power on one side of the coin and fear on the other. That's what I would call a false unity. That's not unity of the spirit. I have sat through, and not only sat through them, Heard of them because I talk to other pastors, right? Talk to other people who sit on church boards or church councils, sit in church meetings, and it's been told over and over and over again. On the one side, the person who is the power player, the person who has to have their way, and they will fight for it at all odds because they got to win. That's not. That's not the attitude that Scripture gave, laid out for us in Chapter Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. It's not the attitude at all. But there are people who that's how they function. And so they are going to be power players. And quite often, I mentioned this last week, they demonstrate their power through anger. And they're going to get angry and they're going to be upset if you do not do things their way. So they're sitting on one side of the table. And on the other side of the table, somebody goes, well, I don't want people to get upset. I want to be loving and kind. I recall one time in a previous ministry where I was serving completely dysfunctional on how it worked. Okay, I've often said, I think God had me there for six years in order to prepare me for when I came here to help with the dysfunction that was here because I couldn't take it anymore. There was no way I was going to do this for the rest of my ministry. And so God enabled, not me, enabled some other men to take significant steps and to get rid of that dysfunction, but I'll never forget. The guy's name was Ard, and we're sitting in a meeting together. And somebody began to get just a little bit, you know, feeling pretty strong about this thing. And, and Ard, I can see the fear in his face to this day. He's like, Well, we don't. We don't want to get upset. We don't want anybody getting angry. We don't want any problems here. We've got to keep the peace, okay? They put a real high value on having a unanimous vote. But the unanimous vote was just simply to cave in to the people who were powerful. That's not unity of the Spirit. I don't believe it is. I believe somebody else is controlling all of that with things that God has not ordained. That's a false unity when on one side people have, are, are gaining power and seeking power and on the other side people are afraid to confront that power. And they just give in to it. As I said last week, that's when you make really stupid decisions. And you let them just keep going. But we have available to us something that is called the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace if we start with an attitude that is lowly and gentle, loving, bearing with one another. We have an opportunity then to look at the big things as God doing because it's not about us. We're getting engaged in that. It's something bigger than any individual here. We have a great opportunity, so it's our task to build it, but then it becomes our privilege to share it because we invite others in and say look you know god's doing a work here and god's doing something in us and among us as we do life together that is just incredible to watch we'd like you to come see it and as they come in they see it they embrace it and get to know jesus now here's why i'm wearing this shirt got my hoodie on today from the power team i got to tell you i'm so proud of this church And their willingness to invest in events like when the power team came. They've been by here twice in about the last four or five years. And, okay, we can say this now that it's come and gone. Okay? This church is what led it. This church is what got behind it financially probably more than any other church in significant ways. And I am proud of this church. And decisions were made for the Savior with those events. Okay? Okay? Well, what? Karen, do you remember the guy's name? I've thought it's I cannot remember this brother who was here. I, it started with a no. It wasn't Otto, was it? No. no. What was his name? Yeah. Okay. Can't remember his name. Yeah, that's just it. It has yet to come to me. I, want I, my mind, I want it to start with a no. Get that out of your mind. It probably doesn't start with a no. But we had this guy here, and he spoke one Sunday morning at the end of the power team thing, and uh, man, he was incredible. I'll tell you what, I watched him do a thing at the school. It was wonderful. And these guys do acts of strength. This guy could bench 600 pounds. Clarence, Clarence that's what it was. Clarence, all right? He could bench 600 pounds. And he had a chest and arms that were just Huge. They were massive. All right? So it was wonderful. We got behind this. People came to Christ. And these guys do feats of strength. It was there that I began to come to understand who Darvis Russell is. I kept seeing this guy at all these events. All right? I honestly thought, Darvis, you were their stage manager. I thought you were the road manager, the guy who kept things everywhere we'd go. There's Darvis Russell. By the way, we've got Darvis back. He's uh, recovering from back surgery. We're delighted to have you with us, buddy. But I honestly did Who's this guy I keep seeing? You know, oh, he's from right there in in Carlstead. Oh, he was a bodyguard. That's it. They were a little frightened by some of the teenagers around here, a little threatened. So we needed... Yeah, all right. Thanks, Darvis, for stepping up that way, man, being their bodyguard. Great stuff, great things that were happening. And we watched churches work together. There's all sorts of dynamics. We were in the schools, all great stuff. But, friends, think about this. I don't know of an exhortation in Scripture that says, bring in the power team. See what I'm saying? Nothing tells us you've got to bring in events and set up big events like this. What were we told by the scriptures we read? Be the body of Christ living in unity. Become your own power team. We sang about it. Did you catch this in the words? By the way, thank you. Thank you, Evan, for what you have selected for us this morning. We are your church. We need your power in us now. We sang that. Does it ever occur to us? That we have the potential for incredible impact in northwest Minnesota if we simply will be the people God calls us to be. Striving for that unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because Jesus says, out of that, out of that they will know. And decisions will be made for the Savior. And it isn't always about that next big event we can every day be making Christ known by how we deal with each other and by inviting a broken world to come in and share with this. We are the power team when we are walking in the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Father, thank you for this magnificent privilege. Lord, as we... um, As we now break from here in a short while, we'll be in a meeting. We thank you for that. We pray for the food that we will receive. We thank you for the hands that have prepared it. We pray your blessing upon our time there, Father. We pray that the things we have heard about unity, what it looks like, what it feels like, its importance, what it's founded on, Father, I pray that those things will will be our portion as we conduct ourselves uh, through that important business meeting. So thank you. For all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.